the core problem that we're trying to solve is that we're trying to clear the noise for consumers. Other brands are trying to like span verticals, dilute their brand message, change identity, because ultimately we're going to put a ring fence around the best food in the UK, hot food restaurants, and we're going to work with them exclusively. There's no confusion, there's no distraction. It's just really great food to your door, done right. Welcome to the Small Talk Podcast, brought to you by Small World, the agency that builds scale-up brands. I'm Dan. I'm Harvey. Cool, Toby, we've already been chatting for about a uh, half hour before this, so yeah, we, should, we said we probably should have should have been recording already, so I'm hoping second time round it sounds just as good. Really delighted to kind of have you down here, thanks for coming down from Manchester, right? Tell us a little bit about yourself and give us the brief introduction to food stuff, I guess. Oh, thanks very much for, for having me. It's been great chatting and looking forward to our conversation as it goes on. Me, start with me, quick intro. Um, so I actually used to work for, well, the devil, as we're going to discuss today. I worked for Deliveroo when I was at university, just part-time. I was kind of a brand ambassador. I was launching Newcastle, reporting to the Edinburgh office. And I was part of that, kind of trying to get the app viral in the student community. While I was at the university, it was all about kind of... Um, getting great food to the door. I love the message. Uh, that changed quite quickly by the time I left university, changed to working with chains. And I, you know, fell in love with working in a startup community, but needed change. So I went to come work for a company called Air Sorted, Airbnb management company, VC backed. I think they're called House or something now. But that was great fun. I basically started as a salesperson, moved into a more opsy sales launcher. I traveled the world, spending VC cash, hiring into new teams, uh, selling into new markets. Got a buzz for that kind of autonomy of just traveling the world, building something and moving on. But it wasn't prop tech that got me excited. I guess, you know, food tech, food was where I wanted to be. And that's why I started with with Deliveroo. So when I came back from Toronto, where I stayed for six months and dotted around North America a bit as well, working for Air Sorted, I started to work for Trail. I met Joe, who's the, the founder there. And uh, yeah, they have a great solution for restaurants, bars, pubs, anyone in hospitality that has teams on the ground that need to know what to do and when, and giving head of uh, head office basically visibility on all of that. So I learned a huge amount from the industry and kind of started hearing noises of kind of problems that people were facing within the delivery sector and uh, started uncovering that on the, on the side of working at Trail. And one of the big issues that kept coming up again and again was, you know, 11.2 billion pound delivery market, but independents weren't able to get a piece of that pie. Big chains were stealing all the limelight on these big platforms. Fees were a lot higher for them as opposed to lower for, for the chains. So there was quite an interesting business case there, but I don't think that's what got James and I out of bed to start tackling the issue. For me, it was more about, you know, waking up and, well, just having a look on the delivery app and seeing that Shell Garage ranked number one. And as an avid foodie, that hurt my feelings. <laughs> and that's kind of really what set us off and started to build food stuff as a concept and kind of, yeah, running you into... Uh, food stuff. I mean, we are solving that exact problem, which is trying to get incredible food to people's doors from the best local restaurants and do it in a way that stands up and we can be proud of. So we sort of set off on bikes in Cambridge, which is where James is from. We were on furlough at the time, working for local indies. Five restaurants turned to 20 super quick and really started to foster a community of people suffering, not being able to find good food quickly. And uh, yeah, from that point onwards, we've scaled to four cities and we've continued growing. Amazing. And I guess you, you touched on a few things already, and I guess that's one of later on one of the challenges that we're going to sort of talk about. But there really is so much that 
food stuff is challenging uh, in the in the food delivery market. Um, you could say, I, I guess it kind of it, it boils down to probably three to five, but three really key ones as as I see it. There's championing independence and and good food, like you said, which is is really top of the pile. There's yeah. obviously the conversation around riders' pay and 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 having equitable pay for for riders. And you guys were kind of featured in a BBC documentary that came out just just this week basically so so good timing uh, around the the crisis and kind of like the dirty secret that's that's sort of happening there or not not so secret but you know what, what's happening in in that space and then i guess the last one is is also emissions which to be honest is, is not something that's um unique to just food delivery um it's kind of every uh, industry out there seems to have like a sustainability based challenger um in, in that market but again is something that perhaps the deliveries and uber eats of this world are, are neglecting so there, there are a few challenges in there but i guess yeah if you could shed a bit more light on the challenge as a whole as you see it and, and the way that you you guys are solving it that'd be great as a starting point yeah for sure i mean the main thing for us i think is around this curation piece that there's a huge amount of noise on these platforms and they're all in an arms race they all look the same they all feel the same and they're all trying to serve mass market therefore they are trying to build this kind of cookie cutter platform that serves all um so just from a kind of matching independent restaurant or just any restaurant to a consumer by nature appealing to everyone becomes quite difficult so we're quite happy to cordon off our niche and look at an independent restaurant or a quality restaurant outlet and connect them with a food enthusiast, someone who loves food. And we're just very lucky that, you know, some of those values that you spoke about there, those people that do love great food also really appreciate the sustainability message. They also really appreciate the riders are paid fairly and um, all of the other things you, you chatted about there kind of gets wrapped into that one consumer. So we're really lucky that although, you know, the initial building block comes from the food, the person that has pulled to that also just really appreciates all the other stuff that, you know, we actually thought was default. We would never do it in any other way. So values are by no means our core proposition. We're solving a business case for independent restaurants trying to make it easier for customers to find really great food real quick and then in order to like build a brand that has a halo effect and keeps people coming back and be a business that people fall in love with we just want to do things right and that's where the rider sustainability supporting local those those three things sort of come in yeah yeah so first and foremost is great food delivered quickly and then the other things are just givens right i think he used an example of uh, a <laughs> a date with a hollywood actor um, or actress before, before we spoke right it's 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 great if you are going on a date with a person and you think they're already great and then on the fifth date they might drop in oh by the way i've got a private jet and we can go on it yeah. later it's like that kind of extra um nugget of like amazement rather than somebody coming on straight into a first date and saying oh by the way i'm really amazing for xyz reason it's kind of the same thing as food stuff right as you start ordering on there because of the great food and time after time time after ordering you find out oh guys turned up on a bike that's that's fucking amazing and then the next thing is oh brilliant uh, i know that my rider's being paid a fair they'd rate and they've told me that as as they've kind of given me the food and they've got a massive smile on their face because it's different to deliver an uber eats and how they're treated there is it's sort of that same uh, same feeling and i guess that's what will keep them coming back theoretically yeah I, I think it's our responsibility as a marketplace to you know put the spotlight on the food on our partners and um, the food genuinely is good enough to keep them coming back to their third, fourth, fifth order. Mm. And I just think, as you say there, the moment of, you know, the sledgehammer of realizing that riders are paid living wage, if that, and the customer's already bought in, you've already built a really great habit based on great food. And then you hear that as just like part of an experience, like some casual uh, retention content, or perhaps it's the rider themselves offloading that information. I think that's getting into the territory of customer for life. And it happens fewer and further between, 
Uh, and I think that's why, and we'll probably talk about some of our mistakes early, later on, but, you know, we were so tempted to talk about all those values the whole time because we knew people cared about them. But ultimately, the power of people finding out later mm. encourages better behaviour. Yeah. So we've had to streamline who we are and what we talk about. Yeah, so when it, and when, so when it comes to, like, the stickiness, because I guess that's the one thing that most of these apps are competing for, right, is, is, is that stickiness. Uh, obviously, building a brand or how a brand grows is all about penetration and stealing kind of light users from other brands. That's always been the name of the game, but... I think even more so when you when you see the kind of race to the bottom with discount codes and sign up codes that deliver yeah. in Uber Eats, Uber in particular, kind of really supercharging that from you know not only the food delivery but also ride sharing. Yeah, it's interesting to see you guys kind of actually think. Yes, of course you're you're focused on user acquisition, but actually focus more on the stickiness of the brand and the service i wondered if there was anything like i know you guys only recently got an app and you, you spoke about before how you didn't want to have to compete on a on a tech front you said let's try and compete on building a brand that feels genuinely different and kind of stands out and and maybe that's what's making you sticky but is there anything that you would say is is why this community of people want to want to stick with you they, they they almost feel like they're kind of rebels yeah uh, with a cause definitely well i think that the the, the curation piece from the top of the funnel we try very hard to be consistent from the top of the funnel to halfway through to the end so when we sign up a restaurant we do our very best to sign them up exclusively so you can't find that find that food anywhere else so if that is someone's favorite which it quite often is because we're we're working in tight-knit communities with um you know really loyal customers it's a great opportunity to win a load of new users very quickly and then beyond that if we continue to curate activation content the way we approach that customer based on what they've eaten it's not only curated food that they can trust in, but like because we're dealing with a smaller pool, we're not trying to go after this mass market. I mean, I, I leave my Uber Eats notifications on just to, just to, just to kind of laugh, if anything, just because you know it's going to hundreds of thousands of people saying exactly the same thing, all with different motivations. And we really, really start to strip that back, build segmentation within our customers, work out what they want to eat, when they eat, what are their spending patterns. And... You know, it's been very manual and we're getting into a place now where we can make that slightly more automated. But being a lot more bespoke in our approach is super important because stickiness is everything. We don't have the the budget that Delivery Breeze and Just Eat have to drive enough new users for a pool of new users for 20% conversion on stickiness to make sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's really important that, you know, the new users that we do bring in, which are most of the time organic or as a result of new restaurants coming on, stick because we're talking to them as individuals or at least mm. segments and that you mentioned a couple of times there of like the the act of the brand talking to them talking specifically to them and, and usually when brands say that right they, they they mean talking at them but in this sense you, you really do have quite a unique tone of voice compared to that. i think it was for me it was summed up by uh, your LinkedIn posts are brilliant as well, by the way, but uh, about the business from behind the scenes. But I think there was one in particular and all of your ads kind of get this across as well. But you're, you're this sort of feisty, in my eyes, you're this kind of feisty challenger, but also have quite a human touch, feel like there's a you know human face to the business as well and, and, and a community feel to it. There was one LinkedIn post where I think it was your head of ops turned up at a student's flat who had been abusing some discount codes that you had on, on the app. They'd found like a loophole and typically, you know, Uber Eats or Deliveroo, it's almost like, People feel like they 
should do that to them because they're this big business that again yeah feel faceless and don't talk to them one-to-one whereas you guys very much aren't and uh your head of ops turned up at their uh student flat accommodation with his kid and kind of gave them a lesson in why that's not good to do <laughs> because you know you guys are, are a fledging startup you have independent restaurants on the platform as well and it it just kind of highlighted this i know it wasn't meant to be a piece of brand cons but it really highlighted this fact yeah. of you know we do things differently we're not afraid to come and turn up at your door and tell you why it's wrong but equally we want you to feel like to explain why it's wrong and kind of tell you why because there's, a, there's humans behind this app and there's humans behind the restaurants and yeah it just for me it just felt like something completely totally different than what i'd seen from that category and it feels like that's what most of your marketing communications is, is trying to do and, and will continue to do yeah definitely i think noah deserves a shout out as well tim's daughter there but uh yeah i think like because we're in this now we have got this shiny new app and you know we try to be a bit rough around the edges as much as we can uh, in terms of what goes out and what people can see but ultimately we're in the food delivery space and everyone just expects you to have 100 million resting bank balance and thinks you're going to IPO in 2 years and you know that's just not who we are and where we are at um currently and i think people abuse that so for us a lot of what we try and do is dress ourselves down and try and bring that you know as you say a human edge to the brand and it's quite easy to differentiate on that level in our space because everything else is so it's an extension right of hospitality and we're trying to be in hospitality and i think it's always going to be an uphill battle because you know the people who landed before us have become these big tech giants that just connect with hospitality on a technical basis but we want to connect with them on a more personable basis from the restaurant side to the rider side and ultimately to the customer side yeah and one of the things you just mentioned there like the the rider side um is something that I wanted to dig into a bit more as well because actually I was reading up but Will Shu the CEO of of Deliveroo and you know you, again you said at the beginning of it you actually you had you really enjoyed working Deliveroo and what they set out to do and I think what at the in the very early days one of the massive success factors of delivery as a brand i've i certainly remember when i was sort of a student it was first sort of uh, coming up it was the brand the, the riders themselves were heavily branded and it got to the point where almost like the the jackets and the coats became this kind of like ironic fashion statement as well amongst people they were trying to get hold of delivery jackets and kind of wear them in normal life and it was, you know there was a certain point where it became this kind of like yeah. almost subculture um and will sort of said you know that was really paramount to when they were first coming up it was a little bit like when apple headphones you know apple ipod came out and their headphones were white which was different from everyone else's like the delivery jackets were so iconic was were so out there that the the brand itself was there the riders themselves had gave it word of mouth and spoke about it and i guess it'd be interesting to again talk about how you're building this community of riders because on a on a surface level that's great that was just like a branding job in terms of like giving them jackets and and kind of coats in a certain sense but what you're doing now is kind of going a step beyond that right you're saying no we're actually doing something for these riders that makes them brand advocates for us in terms of uh, the the kind of fair pay that you're giving them and also the way you treat them and highlight them and, and put them front and center and that also makes your riders different but yeah Definitely. We've circled around the conversation of doorstep experience so much and we've circled around it too many times because actually we're already market leaders in the cities that we're in. And yeah. the reason for that is because our riders smile and they and they communicate effectively and, you know, they wish them a good evening and they make eye contact. And that's because like we're able to build a community that is well, we kind of dub them as front of house on wheels. And that's really important. And yeah, we pay them living wage, they get holiday, they get hit sick pay, they have a contract that makes them feel more secure. Therefore we appeal to appeal to a certain rider. And that just means that they feel part of a community. As you said earlier, there's a human edge. So, you know, there's events, there's rider socials, all that stuff. 
And as a result, we get more hours back from our riders than what Deliveroo do where most of their riders are probably working Friday and Saturday because it's peak. Um, we probably get more riders working across the week, but with a much smaller fleet, more familiar faces, more relationships, more connections within the fleet. And I appreciate that we're not at mass market scale, but I think there's a nub of culture there that that we can scale um, within our own means with. And we were talking about stickiness earlier and, you know, the riders are definitely at the forefront of our brand and them being, you know, as a waiter or a waitress would be in a restaurant is kind of part of their role. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they get their own tips and, you know, they show their stuff off in return. Right. So, you know, they really see that as an opportunity to deliver a, a great experience and, uh, do it repeatedly. And a lot of them have kind of conversations and chats with our customers. I learned the other day that one of our riders had, uh, offered to do an old lady's lawn on the weekend, just off like <laughs> delivering them to a few, like just delivered to them a few times hmm. and just left their number and they all got, he just did their, uh, did their garden on the Saturday. I just thought that was great. It's actually quite comparable to when I was growing up, my, my mate Joe, he, we used to go to his and there's, a, there's actually a place, well, my mate, my flatmate George and my mate Joe, they always used to religiously order from the same Indian Chelsea Spice and Grill, um, which I never personally used to like that much, but that's besides the point. And it is that thing that you said, right? They would always go to that particular Indian and never think of switching because they knew, personally knew, like the the guy who turned up and knew his son, knew the family. They'd yeah. come into the house, kind of have a five minute conversation with them before like leaving with, with the with the delivery. So I guess it's it's similar to what you guys are doing, right? You're getting that that stickiness by proxy, as opposed to the person who previously it was like the person who actually owns the restaurant coming and building that relationship. Now it's actually your drivers, so you're the ones getting that kind of benefit off the back of it. It's like, well, I'm always going to order food stuff because I. I know James is probably going to turn up and then, you know, yeah. we're going to have a quick chat and maybe he's going to mow my lawn or whatever that might be. It's <laughs> yeah. actually similar to that kind of old yeah. school uh, phone up and order a car yeah. kind of delivery. Exactly. When you have a bit more consistency within your fleet, it does mean that, you know, there's more connectivity there. But I think that translates to the restaurants as well, because ultimately if you curate and you have a smaller pool of restaurants that are great, you that, that people can trust I think that that encourages more exploration on the platform and people try things that they have never tried before. Whereas, you know, my experience on Deliveroo is you find something that you like and you stick to your guns because you don't want to risk that 20 quid on something that's going to let you down. Whereas on foodstuff, you can trust wherever you go. So in a similar way to, you know, if you're a, if it's business to business partnerships, right, the stickier that relationship, usually the more integrations, the more like, it's difficult to leave. Yep. I think it's the same with the restaurant side, which is I've had eight great experiences from eight restaurants as opposed to one. So if you were to go to another platform, you're kind of leaving eight different opportunities behind. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, we see that within our cohorts that a lot of our customers are, are dipping their toe into all cuisines and checking stuff out. And, you know, ultimately they'll get hooked in by one, probably do three orders there and then explore across the entire platform. And it just means that they've, you know, they're almost ticking it off. And with every tick laterally across the platform, the stickier they become. And then, as you say, that extra bit of spice of the riders giving them a smile at the door yeah, is pretty awesome. And, that you know, if you can use curated across that whole process, that whole customer flow from choice of restaurant to quality of food to customer experience as well. Yeah. I mean, I know this this probably is, is an impossible task, but it's interesting if you even could get to the point where, like, obviously when I go to my barbers, I do it through Booksy online on a booking system, but I always pick my barber. <clears throat> It'd be interesting if you could, you know, look on the app and say, oh, 
James again. James is in, like in the local area. I'll take him as my rider today, please. That's the Alps, that's... The Alps team would kill me. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> no, that's, you know, but I like it. That'd be crazy. We've got um, rider profiles with it, like a post checkout. Yeah. you'll have a little rider profile that tells them, you know, what do they do on the weekend? What yeah, music yeah, do they yeah. like? And yeah. that triggers conversations, totally. which is great. And uh, you know, I think in a world where getting jobs from restaurants to to doors is already super hard to go as. Uh, as niche, I, I would love to put that order past our uh, ops team's desk now. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can tend to blame me. Some, some <laughs> Dan's idea, yeah. Cool, and uh, I guess the next thing I want to really speak about was uh, choice of cities, really. And uh, again, in true challenger fashion where, you know, Deliver and Uber, Uber Eats have gone, you've kind of done the reverse instead of saying, oh, we're going to launch in sort of major cities or, or well, I suppose Delivery started in, in smaller kind of university cities. But you, you've really said, no, we're not going to rush things. We're going to go for, I think it's Bristol, Edinburgh, Manchester, Cambridge. And is that right? And yeah, yeah, those, those, are, those are the ones. Um, and you said, we're going to dominate and be- almost become the market leader in those cities because we know that the deliveries and the Uber Eats are going to be neglecting uh, yeah, these yeah. places and kind of using London as their battleground. Um, and it's kind of paid dividends. But um, yeah, yeah, it'd be great to know a little bit more about that. For sure. And I think, look, London's a transient place, right? And there's a lot of people in, there's a lot of people out. And um, by pure accident, by being furloughed and, you know, being quarantined in Cambridge, we learned that people who have ordered from these restaurants since they were tiddlers or whatever owed them some kind of loyalty. And we just presented ourselves as the best vehicle to support that independent business. Mm. And that was kind of our special source. And obviously the pandemic, you know, kind of amplified that. But it still stood true outside of the pandemic. So community was the key word there where... You, the, the people are constant, they live there, they've supported previously, and we're just making it easier. And our thought was probably nothing to do with Deliveroo uh, or any of the other competitors and what they were up to, because they've got some great presence where we are. But ultimately, it was about communities that were crackable, because they understood who they were supporting and we were basically elevating their their favourites, and putting a spotlight on them and educating them around yeah, a lot of the early days was educating about what Deliveroo did to your local business and what they did to your local rider. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of got us out of the Petri dish of Cambridge and took us to Bristol and Edinburgh and Manchester, which, you know, big enough populations, enough hungry people, but people who are part of that, that kind of infrastructure of the city, they're part of the furniture and they've got a great deal of love for the hospitality industry there. And we're just seen as a, a vehicle for making that better. Mm, amazing. Amazing. I guess then going into, so you've got you've got a lot of hungry but engaged people as well who are kind of almost like, well, I don't know if you've coined a word for them yet, but, you know, foodstuff rebels almost. You know, I know you, you've got the kind of rock on symbol as your, as your logo, but yeah, they're these kind of rebels and rebels of a cause like we spoke about earlier. It's going to start to become tougher, right, to get those people, but also get them to be sticky as we head into kind of a cost of living crisis. There's a lot of thing, there's a lot of theory or people theorizing rather um, that, as that happens and people tighten their belts, one of the things they'll do is trade down from deliveries and, and uh, getting their getting their food delivered basically to possibly groceries and cooking themselves or to things like HelloFresh or meal kits or meal delivery. You're seeing lots of different apps like Deliveroo in particular diversifying as a, probably as a result of that or as a, as a response to that, but also because of the, the pressure of, you know, having done a massive IPO. We were speaking about this beforehand and you kind of had a, a an 
opposing view to that in the, in the fact of like, well, no, actually, we, we think we'll just double down on what we're really good at and what are genuinely, uh, what what's genuinely different about food stuff. And yeah, I wonder if you can sort of touch on that. Yeah, well, I think if we're going to diversify, we need to gain some differentiation yeah. uh, in order to stay true to our kind of rebel with a cause. And I don't think we win any differentiation because they're spanning every vertical under the sun. Every app still looks exactly the same. The core problem that we're trying to solve is that we're trying to clear the noise for consumers so that they, we've got a really clear brand identity of like why they use food stuff. So I'm quite pleased that other brands are trying to like span verticals, dilute their brand message, change identity, because ultimately we're going to put a ring fence around the best food in the UK, hot food restaurants, and we're going to work with them exclusively mm-hmm. so that actually you can't find them in other platforms. And um, the customer has no, there's no confusion, there's no distraction. It's just really great food to your door, yeah. done right. Um, and at the moment, there's no more than 50 partners in one city. Yeah. And every one of those partners gets a bit of love. Others are more popular than others, but ultimately every, everyone wins from the community. And I think this, the minute you start to step away from that, the customer can get confused. And the stuff we were talking about, Human Edge earlier, I think that gets worn out. If you start to kind of replicate what the big guys are doing, you could fall into that same category and continue to get kind of put in a bucket with them. So it's just, it does feel weird doing nothing. Well, not nothing, just really focusing on what we're doing well at the moment helps us differentiate. And we've got all of the, the, the big three to thank, really, because they've paved the way and built a mass market, a huge industry, 11.2 billion. Hmm. Deliveroo tried to do what we're doing now and they didn't have the luxury of cordoning off their own niche. Yeah. yeah. Um, which we can do now. Yeah. So I, I think we, we, we want to get maximum market share within our niche. Yeah. Yeah. They, their goal was really, they, they had to just grow the category at all costs at that point and, and make it as, as sort of as big as possible. And now you're kind of yeah almost slightly re- reaping the reward of that. But I, I think also in marketing senses or at least or in, at least in, in advertising i know you guys haven't done tons um tons to date and that's kind of on on the horizon um and we'll talk about that in our kind of like challenge yeah there was there's kind of like this you kind of do this this judo throw you use you leverage kind of the the deliveries and the uber eats and and what's bad about them um, and making comments about them to raise the profile of food stuff and what's great about you as a brand like i know you did like a, a couple of really simple copy line uh, uh billboards for instance um one-off billboards that were kind of taking shots at delivery for instance and i, I always loved brands that do that um, and brands that i feel like the brand, only brands that can do that are the ones that genuinely have a um, point of difference or genuinely have a solution right it's no good to kind of fire a shot and then have people find out oh well you're basically just the same as them um you kind of need to have a solution to the beef you're starting but yeah i love that about the the i, I hope you continue doing that um but I, I love that about the kind of communication you put out so far um kind of using them yeah using their weight against them in a way definitely and you know back to the kind of original question which is i think we can be punchier if our identity is clearer and our industry is clearer so you mm-hmm. know where delivery wanted to just make the category as big as possible i think we need to make our category as simple as possible yeah uh, and then actually chip away at the mass market over time yeah and i think if our message is clear we should trust that people will turn heads yeah. as a result of being punchier being more confident in the solution because you know the deliver who campaign turned a lot of heads and the problem we were solving was clear, so it stood up. Yeah. But as soon as we start kind of diversifying strategy, messages are different across multiple channels, we might lose that punchiness. Therefore, we're less likely to kind of wear away at the mass market. Yeah. 
cool. I guess we met, let's let's get into that challenge now. Then I suppose we most people who listen to this know that we usually invite people on and then ask them to come with a brand challenge that's either unique to their brand or or their category in general. And there's a really great one for us to kind of talk about with you guys. I let you kind of pose the challenge and then we can sort of talk about it. Yeah, I think you know we spoke about the values and all the stuff that we're doing well and how we're changing the industry, sustainability, support local, great food, pay riders fairly, rider welfare, all that great stuff, right? And we all care about it. It, We really do care about it. It's important to the foodstuff team. It's it's really important to our story, but ultimately on all of our channels, our new user channels, our socials, our content, we look like a bit of a a happy puppy, a lost puppy, just looking to try and please everyone. Mm. And I think the biggest challenge was trying to distill that into one core message people could really latch onto that was basically the foundation for us to start kind of educating and dropping the other stuff in, as we spoke about earlier, as afterthoughts. We needed a hero and we've sort of got there now and we realised that the reason why people were turning up originally was because the food was shit hot and that, that it was really great food. So we tried to build an approach around that. But yeah, the, 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 the major challenge was crystallising that and I think we wasted probably a year and a half confusing, like, you know, a customer's probably got 1% brain equity space, right, to remember our brand and we were five things to them. We lost a lot of space in people's minds, I think. If we had just stuck with one thing, which was awesome food, I think we'd be further along in terms of customer loyalty, retention and new users. Yeah, my take on that, and I won't ruin the the kind of line that you guys settled on because, uh, yeah, I'll keep that as a secret for people. But I suppose the... The process that we would always recommend for a client when they when they when they go down that down that road is okay, what's the one thing we want to communicate a brand? Growing a brand is ultimately about penetration, so stealing, you know, light users from from other brands um, and and taking them over to your tribe. Generally the first step in doing that is getting mental availability, like you said. So just generally people being aware of you and being able to recall who you are when they go to make that decision of who they're going to deliver uh, get get delivery from and then the main way you get that mental availability is usually not by being uh, or talking about how you're different because there are generally not many different genuinely different products it's usually people who have different point of views or a distinct point of view right like coca-cola is not really that different from pepsi but they have a different point of view on the market some people might say that they prefer coca pepsi it's basically the same product right in the same way that i I think it currently in the food delivery market, you're seeing that Uber Eats um, and Deliveroo are kind of, you know, they're the same product. They offer, they offer the same thing. It's like what you said before, they're kind of these cookie cutter templates almost that are trying to just do this race to become the biggest one and swallow the others around them effectively. And so, for instance, you saw from that Uber Eats latest campaign, they're kind of making a point of distinction with these weird adverts around, you know, giving you your time back because it's convenient. Deliveroo did loads of advertising around the the choice that they have. Just Eat did something pretty similar with their kind of like Snoop Dogg adverts, but they kind of built distinction around these like icons in the form of Katy Perry and Snoop Dogg. But none of them were necessarily different from each other. They were all just distinctive. They just stood out because of the colors they had in the adverts and and because of the the brands that they were. The really interesting point that you guys have is is that you genuinely are a a different brand. You have a, whether whether you're talking about the the way that you treat riders, whether you're talking about the fact that you're just for independence, which is definitely the one to settle on and and what you guys are doing. That's a genuine point of difference that you can build a kind of prop line around and can build advertising campaigns around. And then that leads into, okay, how do we execute that in market? That's where I still think it's you can have so much more bang for your buck by taking shots at the Uber Eats, the Deliveroo's, the Just Eats who 
don't behave in the way that you do and don't behave in the way that you can um, behave and, you know, make, still making it just about kind of great food and leaning up against those brands and almost inviting them, enticing them to reply, which they probably will never do because they know that they can't match you on those, those, you know, underlying values. And there's just some real fun to be had in terms of, again, making yourself mentally available um, to people in that way. So I think that's probably the next step of like, you've got this line. It's like, okay, how do we turn that into, you know, advertising that is, is building that mental availability in people's heads? Yeah. We knew it all along. But we just needed to do the, the exercise to understand that food was our hero. Yeah. We chatted as a team about how best, I guess for us, it was all about imagining when you've had incredible food and the memories that that provided everyone yeah. and trying to describe the moment. You know, whenever someone serves some great food around a dinner table, everyone goes quiet and they're all having that moment. Mm. And we were trying our best to kind of distill that, that kind of environment into a strap line. Yeah, we went round in circles, and we, we, at one point, I think we were. It's your moment, and it felt a little bit like uh, going on a kind of theme show um, <laughs> and doing your dance for some judge panel or whatever. But we basically landed on food that grabs you. Yeah, and the reason why I really love that is because it puts the power in the hands of the food. And whenever I kind of think of the word grab, it, it's kind of grabbing attention. That's that's where it takes my mind. So ultimately, it's kind of food that takes your attention. There's connotations with food, grabbing, going, all this kind of stuff. But it's about people stopping. And, you know, the, the amount of creative ideas that came off the back of just getting that line, like imagining just shitting the fan around you, you know, baby's fingers in the plug socket. But, you know, <laughs> you're just, you're biting a burger and you, you can't hear. You don't know. Yeah. There's just so much that we can do with that. And we have to earn that identity of best food. And then we can start to talk about some of the other things, the value stuff. A great line is always one that has many different meanings, right? And the idea of like food that grabs you and food delivery that grabs you, you can go beyond that, right? Grab The concept of grabbing is... Well, there can be negative connotations to it, I guess, but the concept of grabbing is, is like you said, it could be like grab and go, but it's also like grabbing, gripping, emotional. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, taking you to a place that you've, you've a memory that you've had previously or galvanizing you to a cause or whatever that might be. So you, yeah, like you said, you can imagine lots of different jumping off points from it and you can imagine how people might, again, we talked about this before, but at the moment there's ordering from delivery or Uber Eats doesn't really say anything about you as a person, whereas ordering from food stuff actually does. It says that you love great food. It says that you love the planet. It says that you love treating people fairly and, and having human relationships. Great like, dinner table discussion. Yeah. <laughs> it's bragging rights as yeah. well. Yeah, precisely. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I kind of love about the brand. Well, it sounds like a, a sort of challenge half solved for now. Well, I think implementation is hard, right? Yeah. It really is because you're you're ultimately it's fresh. So how can you keep your vision as lofty and as exciting as changing an industry on so many grounds? Like ultimately we do want to be able to challenge Deliveroo and say, this is how you should do it. But when you kind of limit your message, the challenge is how do you keep your vision as broad and ambitious and as lofty when you're limited to one hero message? So I guess the challenge is like, how can you build that cult that feels like they're working towards something that's bigger than just... Because if all of our content, I think pretty quickly we'll get good at just vetting and getting rid of talking about everything on our social channels. And we'll get really good at elevating this message um, around food that grabs you. But what's the next stage of that? How can you get like more aspirational with it, I guess. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. I think if you use that as your as your creative platform, there is there, sorry, Nike is obviously a brilliant example, but it's always a good example to look at for, for this perspective. You know, they have Just Do It, which is obviously their 
core proposition has been for, for, for or their core kind of tagline has been for, for years. But it, it's how they then, they then transfer that into different campaigns for different groups of people. So like Nike Londoner, for instance, in the UK is known as quite, it grabbed a, a not to use your line, but it grabbed a certain group of people, Londoners, and showed them that they really understood those people, for instance, right? And while you're, whilst your lead campaign might actually just mostly be about great food and food that grabs you, then some of the other communications that you have underneath that can be food that grabs them. And it's talking about riders and what you do for riders and communications around that. Or it could be, you know, food that grabs the planet and it's talking about what you do, what you do for the planet and how ordering food from this app not only gives you tasty food, but, you know, makes the world tastier, I guess weird probably a weird articulation but you get where i'm you get where i'm going with it right like there is there is definitely a core campaign and when, when you do comms planning and comms strategy like that's yeah. that's part of it you have your your core campaign and then you maybe have these other reasons to believe on underneath and and the way that you introduce so you introduce the brand first and then you maybe do something that's like a loyalty and love campaign which talks specifically to riders or talks specifically to uh, those segments in your in your um group that are particularly concerned about the sustainability message of the brand etc so yeah it's, it's de- and get where, get where you're coming from it's an, it's an interesting challenge especially no, to know how much resource to pull into which message but i think you're definitely doing the right thing in terms of having that one core that thing that people know you for that that line that is okay this is what i'm getting that's different from delivery and uber eats which none of them are currently yeah. communicating against each other we we, we saw like building a strap we, we've had a strap line for yeah. two years but we didn't put any thought we didn't think about it it didn't mm. dictate what we do and yeah. i had no idea that it would be so important but yeah i think we just totally underestimated the value of a strap line it seems so insignificant but actually just di- dictates everything you do you know we had something on the website that we would have just written up when we built the website and would have been like yeah that'll do it didn't change anything after that and now i just really see that you know we basically had to go through the process of putting up our core truths as a business whether it be food people transport now i think the other one was in terms of deliver now and we said food and people were the most important let's build a strap that that pulls in both both those two things we decided that we'd lead with food and then kind of nod to people and going through that process and then getting into a bit of a brainstorm and took about two weeks before you know someone was sitting on the loo and went i think we've got it it has meant that the way we effectively, you know, chat as a team has even changed. And big strategic decisions have have been tweaked as a result of just something so straightforward and simple. It's given us a lot more focus. And yeah, it's 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 it's, it's advice we've had recently that I think if we would uh, to rewind the clock, we would have cracked on with it a lot sooner. Brilliant. Cool. And then the last, as we wrap up, the last thing we always ask any guest who comes on here is who should we have on next, preferably a, a brand owner that you kind of know and love. And there is one who actually helps you of coming to coming to that line. Um, yeah. Who you're going to recommend. Well, it's worth a shout out. So Ernie, formerly co-founder at Finisterre, which is one of my favorite brands, and they basically built their own category. Originally, they were kind of outdoor gear, well, just surfing, I think, generally. And they established that cold water surfing was their sort of like their niche within a greater category. And then everything fell into place after that. So, yeah, I mean, Ernie's kind of brought this theory of four truths to your business, distilling to a strap line, building a mission and implementing that into your brand and marketing strategy afterwards. So we've been working pretty closely with Ernie and um, yeah, would recommend you guys have a chat. He's been great. He's a real character as well. Brilliant. Cheers, Toby. Thanks for coming on. Loved it. Yeah, rock on. 
I've been Dan. If you like the podcast, please share it on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or even just to a mate. If you or anyone you know runs a brand that you think would be perfect for small talk, then get them to hit us up on hello at smallworld.marketing. We're Small World, and this was Small Talk. Oh, 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 oh